Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, week six. The results were pretty much what we expected. The method of getting there was really not what we expected in a lot of cases. Completely agree, and we'll get into the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game um, in a bit. That game especially was like, oh, okay, we got to where we thought we were going to get to. It definitely wasn't how I thought we were going to get there. and being in the stands for that game, just I have a lot of thoughts on it. So I'm looking forward to talking about that game. But I did I, because it was a primetime game, I was able to see a good bit of the ACC games this weekend. There were a lot of surprises, even though most of the outcomes, I guess, ended up being what we thought, with the exception of one, which I called the lock of the year incorrectly. So we'll get into that later as well. But yeah, an interesting weekend in the ACC. I think we learned a lot about a lot of these teams in the conference this weekend, as we thought we would. Yeah, it, it was a thing where, again, we had a good feel for these games. There's only one really, what I'll call a major upset or a stunning upset, pretty much ended up results-wise kind of what we expected. Although if you look at margins and you look at the actual game story, they're a little different. Let's start, Mike, with the the peak of this whole week, I think, for the ACC in a lot of different ways. Number 17, Miami 28, Florida State 27. We brought Cam on to preview this game. Miami was going to run away with this. Florida State has looked real bad this year. It's been a mess. Uh, This is going to be Miami's coronation, and Kosey Perry is now running the show, and the the offense is going to look great. And wouldn't you know it, Miami finds themselves in a 27-7 hole in the second half of this game. It does require a pretty remarkable comeback to end up winning there was their share of uh, controversy, we'll say. There was a, a touchdown from Florida State that was called back on an illegal forward pass call saying that uh, a swing pass, they, they kind of ran a wide receiver double pass. They're saying that the first pass thrown from the quarterback to the receiver was going forward. There are a lot of people on the internet that got questions about that. Um, I'm one of them, frankly. But yeah, Me uh, too. Me too. Yeah, in any case, Miami holds on after a, a pretty – impressive comeback they win by one but this certainly was not the blowout that we were thinking we were going to get here Mike not the blowout we were thinking we would get uh Bud Elliott I believe it was Bud Elliott tweeted this out might have been our buddy James Coleman uh one of the two anyway the two really strong Florida State follows guys if you're not following them um one of the two tweeted if this is the Florida State team we get the rest of the year we're going to have to look at them in a different prism because that's absolutely a team that can make a bowl game and That team on Saturday is more the team I was expecting to see on opening night when I was down in Tallahassee for the game against Virginia Tech. That was the Florida State team I was expecting to see. 
really strong defensive effort. Still couldn't block up front, quite honestly, but they did enough in the early part of this game to to kind of quell the pass rush. Uh, they did a couple things that worked um, to try to neutralize it as best they could, but it was pretty clear Willie Taggart went into this game saying, hey, look, we know we can't block you. Let's figure out other methods to get our playmakers the ball because Francois can't sit back there for three or four seconds and get passes off, and that was clear early. Uh, so Florida State's play calling early in the game, especially uh, when they when they built the lead, it was clear they were going to go with a short passing game. They're going to go with quick hitting run plays. They're going to do everything they could to get the ball out of DeAndre Francois's hands quickly because they could not block uh, Miami up front. That was clear, and uh, that ended up being their downfall in the end. Uh, but they held on as long as they could. That was impressive. To jump out to a lead they did on the road, there are a lot more positives than negatives. I can pull out this game for Florida State, and even though it's a tough loss, it's a rivalry game, Miami's fan base is rabid as they always are. They're pouncing on it, which, of course, they would. It's a rivalry game. Any any school would against their rival, and the fans are going insane on Twitter. But there are a lot of Florida State fans who, while disappointed with the outcome, are really coming away from this game pretty happy with how the team performed, which it's it's hard for me to kind of feel any different as an outside observer. It sucks they couldn't hold the lead. Um, it, it sucks that they didn't play better in the second half and the fourth quarter obviously didn't go as planned, but there were a lot of good things to come out of this game for Florida State. That's my big takeaway. For Miami, this is one of those things that it was a flashback to last year. It was a flashback to kind of 2016 where they started really slow and they had to dig out of a hole. This was one of those games where it was almost too large of a hole to dig out of. It was like the first time in since Miami's joined the ACC, they've come out of a 20-point deficit and won the football game. That was their first victory um, in that fashion since they've joined the ACC. So that's something, right? Um, and there were a lot of big-time blowout losses in the Al Golden era, right? So that's saying a lot that they were able to climb out of this hole. So th- I came away impressed by Miami in the second half that they were able to climb out of the hole that they did. Nikosi Perry, by far his worst showing since he's been the starting quarterback. He did not play well in this game at all, but he played better in the second half. He's a big reason why they won the football game, quite frankly. Uh, played a lot better, especially in the fourth quarter. And Miami did a lot of good things in the second half that I think they can build on. Um, obviously, you come away with a win. You come away disappointed with how you played in the first half of the game. But I think overall, you have to be pretty happy getting this win in a rivalry game at home. Mike, I'm glad you brought up Perry because that's the thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about he he made some really big throws and and he obviously helped to orchestrate a comeback here they they benefited from some short fields but they took advantage when they had the opportunities but i look at this final line 13 of 32 for 204 and four touchdowns how do we feel about that is that good i i don't really know like you're less than 50% passing but the ones that you do complete are big plays and you you know four touchdowns no interceptions that's all good right but it's like I would really like to see some level of increased efficiency because that's almost a little bit of what we got from, dare I say it, Malik Rozier. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, and I'm I'm completely with you. I think you come away from this game saying, okay, well, that's Nicozy Perry's worst game. He still threw four touchdown passes, didn't turn the ball over, right? And he was a big reason. They don't win this game without him, right? I, and that's my take. That's my takeaway. Like, he didn't play well, right? But he made big throws when it mattered. I think that's got to be the takeaway because you can go back to Malik Rozier if you want to. Upside's clearly higher with Nikozi Perry, and we've seen that over his first couple of starts. 
if this is the worst you're going to get, and it's against a very, very good Florida State defense, by the way, if this is the worst you're going to get and he still throws four touchdown passes and he leaves you back and he's a big reason why you win, you take it as a Miami fan because the upside's higher. And that's something that we've all kind of been talking about here for, for a year or two. It's like, what's the ceiling with Miami with Rozier, a quarterback versus Perry? And we're seeing the upside with Perry. Although he didn't complete as many passes as he wanted to, he completed the ones that mattered and didn't turn the ball over. I think that's the most important thing. Florida State's defense really was all over him this whole game. Uh, they played a really, really impressive game, I thought. They were really harassing Miami up front, um, really did a great job. But again, Miami ends up pulling off the win. Uh, big win for the Canes. Good to see them not fold you know, under pressure and under a big deficit. I know there were a lot of uh, sullen-looking Miami fans in the stands during the middle of that game, to say the least. You know, So uh, good for them to, to kind of pull that out and, and – Turn it into a win, you know, where uh, where the opportunity presented itself. We're complimenting Miami, Joey. We're complimenting Miami. We sure are. Our beloved yeah. Hurricanes, Mike. We we love Miami, so we we oh. always are going to be comment complimenting them. Yep, that's yep. right. Our Hurricanes, uh, Miami twenty eight, Florida State twenty seven. Let's move on, Mike. Number six, Notre Dame forty five. Number twenty four, Virginia Tech twenty three. You were at this game. I was watching on television. Um, it, it was, I thought, a really impressive showing from Virginia Tech, the way that they came out of the gate. Um, now, the first maybe five to ten minutes of the game were controlled, you know, by Notre Dame. They jump out to a big, quick lead. But then probably, again, late in the first quarter, Virginia Tech really took over and, and dominated a lot of the first half. Their biggest problem was that they couldn't finish drives. They kept getting inside the five-yard line kicking field goals. And I think that was really the thing that kind of ended up doing them in as Notre Dame ran away with this game in the second half. Yeah, Notre Dame's an elite team. Um, they came out, I don't want to say intimidated by the atmosphere, because I think that would be incorrect, and that would be doing Notre Dame a disservice to their first five or ten minutes of the football game. So I don't want to say that they came out intimidated by the atmosphere, because I really don't think that was the case. But they were not as sharp as they usually were uh, in the first half, and that's safe to say. Um couple things here. The atmosphere in Lane on a Saturday night or a Thursday night is I've been to a decent amount of college football venues. It's unmatched. It's unbelievable. With that being said, and Josh Parcell tweeted this, he took a lot of heat, but I agreed with him. At some point, primetime games at home at Virginia Tech need to become about more than enter Sandman and the atmosphere. And it needs to become more about the team on the field and how they're performing. I completely agree with that statement. With that being said, Fuente's still rebuilding, right? I guess he shouldn't be getting blown out in year three at home. I get that. I get all of that. But th there are some things there to consider. He's taking over from, from Beamer, who had six and seven win seasons, his final three years on campus. It was a complete makeover on the recruiting trail. you got a new quarterback who's making his second career start in the biggest game of the year. Um, you have a very young defense filled with sophomores in the second, sophomores and, and one junior, Reggie Floyd, in secondary. Um, a lot of really young guys in the front seven. So there, there are multiple elements to this. That and the fact that Notre Dame is an elite football team. They are a true college football playoff contender. People looking at Notre Dame saying, okay, well, they beat Stanford at home. Oh, Stanford lost to Utah. and Maybe Notre Dame's not as good as we thought. Notre Dame beat Stanford by three touchdowns. They went into Lane and dominated in the second half, scoring four touchdowns in the second half of this football game in Lane Stadium against a Bud Foster defense. It's been a little bit up and down this year, but 
Notre Dame put that game away on Saturday. Um, from Virginia Tech's side, you played well in the first half. You played well enough to win, but you were making stupid mistakes. Ryan Willis fumbles. He's under a lot of heat. He fumbles. Julian Love, an All-American corner, picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. Uh, before that even happens, Notre Dame, uh, bad snap on a punt. Tyler Newsom gets tackled. Virginia Tech gets great field position. Stephen Peoples runs, runs at 34 yards down to the one-yard line. And then easily the biggest flaw for Justin Fuente and his offense is shotgun formation when you need one yard to get into the end zone. I was screaming at the play calling multiple times in this game. Um, you get down into the red zone there. First and goal from the one, it was a fine play call. You ran off tackle, didn't work, right? Because they were nerdings expecting to run up the middle. Fine, I'm okay with that, no gain. Second and goal, you're in shotgun. Run right up the middle, no gain. Third and one, you run it, Ryan Willis turns, runs into Deshaun McLeese in the backfield, he's tackled, 22-yard field goal, 10 to six. Okay, Th that made me scream. Virginia Tech um, kicking short field goals was just like excruciating to watch in this game. Bane, bane of my existence, right? So that happens. It's 10 to 6. Uh, Notre Dame throws a bad interception. Ian Book gets picked off by Reggie Floyd. Again, Virginia Tech kicks another field goal. It's 10 to 9. Then you had uh, Tech get another stop on defense. And um, that that's when they, you know, they get the Ryan Willis gets the ball. He fumbles at 17, it's 17 to nine. Then he leads him right down the field and tech scores before the half. You know, great. You know, seven or eight play drive goes 75 yards. And all of a sudden it's 17, 16 at the half. And you're sitting here thinking, wait a second. Okay. We're right in this football game. Then the second half, Notre Dame comes out dominant. Tech doesn't score on the first drive. Notre Dame grinds it out. You know, tech has to punt that pins Notre Dame deep. And then you got third and 12 from their own three-yard line, and Dexter Williams takes it around the corner, much like Cam Akers did in the opener. Same freaking play. They run a toss play out to the left. They crack the linebacker, and they have a playmaker in space. And Caleb Farley, the corner, whipped on the tackle. It was textbook Florida State game, right, when Cam Akers broke that long run, except Dexter Williams took it all the way to the house. Completely changed the entire game. Um, that and the fact that Notre Dame goes up a couple touchdowns, completely dominant in the second half, by the way. No, I don't want to take anything away from them. But Virginia Tech gets the ball, and they're down two scores with 13 minutes to go. Justin Fuente elects to kick a 53-yard field goal to cut the lead from 15 to 12. And first of all, they missed it. Second of all, I don't understand that play call at all. You're down two scores. What is kicking a field goal doing in that situation? You're down 12. You're running out of time. You might as well just go for it, fourth and seven at the, at your at the thirty eight yard line of Notre Dame. What are we yeah, doing there with the play calling? And it was just a curious. It, it was like that the whole game, right? There was just Tech completely goes away from the run in the first half when it's working, and then in the second half they decide to run the ball when they're down a couple scores when they really should be throwing. It was like completely screwed up play calling. Didn't understand it. End of the day, Notre Dame was a much better team. Dexter Williams, the, the Notre Dame rushing attack. Joey, I'll let you get, get a word in in a second. I'm just so riled up about this. <laughs> Notre Dame had negative three yards rushing in the first half. Dexter Williams ends up running for over 175 yards by himself, which is a testament to A, the 97-yard touchdown run, the longest in Lane Stadium history, and B, the fact that he had, I think, 17 carries for over 170 yards. So he had a huge second half it wasn't just that long rushing play Notre Dame just established a run they were much more balanced in the second half and Ian Book played really well Tech's corners couldn't cover anybody 
Notre Dame's athletes in space. They have elite speed. Virginia Tech secondary wasn't even close to covering them. If Book hits a couple of those bigger throws in the first half, this is a much bigger blowout than, than it actually was. So good effort by Virginia Tech at home. Notre Dame is elite, 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 completely sold on them. They're, they're an excellent football team. They're, they have a great chance of going undefeated. Um, they also have a great chance to lay an egg at some point. But <laughs> I'm, not counting it on, I'm not counting on this team to do that. They're just too good. Mike, we're, we're a little bit short on time on this episode, but I'm starting to think, you know, you, you mentioned the kicking a field goal, a, a deep field goal down 15 later in the game. And yeah, you start thinking, let's check the math on that because right. th- this doesn't really in any way, shape or form help you. Um, it, it's one thing if it makes it a 10 point game, if it makes it even an 11 point game to where now a touchdown and a field goal will do it or something, but like a 12 point game is just as bad as a 15-point game, right? You need two touchdowns to do anything. And I, I guess at that point, if you get two touchdowns, maybe now you win instead of needing to go for two and try to tie it or something. I mean, but yeah. But maybe the bigger point here, and, and I started to think about, was this is you know two and a half years into Justin Fuentes' uh, tenure at, at Virginia Tech. And you were mentioning that at some point, these big night games at Lane Stadium, they've got to become more about the team performing well and, and ripping off these big wins. What's the biggest win Justin Fuentes had so far as a Virginia Tech head coach? I, and there's a couple of candidates that – I mean, I look at the, the West Virginia win to start the year last year. Um, there was a win over a ranked North Carolina team his first year, but that was on – you know, that was in a monsoon, if I remember correctly. And, yeah, maybe maybe the Thursday night game in 2016 against Miami. Um I don't know. I mean, there, there were a few. I mean, Virginia Tech hasn't won a ranked game at home in prime time since 2009. That's crazy. It's been no, a while. That Charlie. can't be right. It's been a while. That um, can't be right. Yeah, it's uh, wow. Not great. Not great. Um, Man, yeah. It's a, and so that's what I'm just sitting here trying to think about. Is you know our. How much is, is Fuente actually rebuilding and improving this program and getting it to the point where Frank Beamer had it? And or is anybody ever going to be able to do that? You know, I, I don't know. And maybe I'm just being an ultra skeptic, you know, hater here. I don't know. But um, th- there are some things we've seen him do at times, you know, in game that do seem kind of suspicious in terms of how did you come to that decision? So it, I don't know. Something I'm thinking about. We can we can dig into another time. Only other thing I was going to bring up here, Mike. You know who had a pretty freaking good game here? Ryan Willis. Ryan Willis he played 31, all right. 31 of 52, 309, two touchdowns and a pick. I mean, against Notre pick, Dame in that secondary. And and he had he had the fumble that was returned for a touchdown, but he was under extreme pressure there. And the interception was in garbage time. So I mean, they were down a bunch of scores. They're trying to come back. I thought he was outstanding overall. I mean, I they can win with him. That's I, that's clearly that's clear. I mean, they can definitely win with him. I was watching him uh, orchestrate this offense in the first half of this game. I thought he looked better than Josh Jackson, frankly. I, yeah. I, I've been I've been more impressive by the last couple of games, you know, what I've seen from Ryan Francis than what I've seen from Josh Jackson, again, in over a year as their quarterback. So, I, you know, something else, another QB situation that almost like could the backups be better than the starter? And there's a certain meme around that, yes. But, like, actually we're watching – you know, quarterbacks come in and perform better than the guy that they, they are taking over for. Maybe that's a simplifying the offense, making it easier kind of thing. I don't really know. But in any case, 
Um, yeah, big win for Notre Dame here. Virginia Tech kept it really close. It was close at halftime, but they just overall couldn't keep up in the second half. Notre Dame runs away with it, 45-23. Let's move on, Mike. Friday night, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 66 Louisville 31, and the sound that you just heard, I think, was Georgia Tech just scoring again. Um, yeah. Georgia, this was as much of a just beatdown as Paul Johnson has ever dreamed about laying on a Brian Van Gorder defense. Georgia Tech has the ball nine times in this game. They come away with eight touchdowns and one field goal. They never had to punt. Mike, they were six of seven on third down in a game where they had 28 first downs and only threw two passes. They only called three pass plays. One of them ended in a sack. Georgia Tech had seven third downs in a game where they scored eight touchdowns and kicked a field goal and had about 600 yards of offense. Goodness gracious. More could, not only could they not get off the field, they couldn't force a third down. More touchdowns than third downs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was oh, it was goodness. a com- complete complete and total beatdown here. Complete and total beatdown. Um, Brian Van Gorder, you tried, baby. Whoo! Yeah, and you'll be hearing that. So that's a little preview for what we got cooking later. Well, um, we'll come back to that one. Um, yeah, you really tried. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was that that Paul Johnson beatdown of Brian Van Gorder was a long time coming. Yeah. It really was. Um, so, so Georgia Tech jumps out to a pretty quick 21-0 lead. And the Atlanta sports fan in me is just not ready for what's about to come of that. But what happened basically was that Louisville starts the ball with the game. They run a, a really nice first play. They get out to midfield. And on third and one, they turn around and hand it off. And as we all know at this point, Louisville can't do that very well. They get stuffed. Fourth and one, they go play action. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice play call. Receiver's open. Juwan passes arm, gets knocked down, and, and there's an incomplete pass. And now Georgia Tech has the ball at midfield. Touchdown. Louisville fumbles on the second play of their next drive. Georgia Tech comes back. Touchdown. Louisville three and out. Georgia Tech touchdown. Real quick, 21-0. Georgia Tech has a 31-17 lead at halftime. And, and just by the, by the late in the third quarter, they are – they've pull the starters Taquan Marshall gets a little bit. Um, he, he got a little bit nicked up, I think on a play with almost scored. They bring in Tobias Oliver for a one yard touchdown run. And from there, I, I mean, it was one of the funniest articles I think I saw all day uh, on Saturday, Mike was, I believe there was like an AP article or something where there was a legitimate column on, you know, was Paul Johnson intentionally running up the score on Louisville in this game? To which I said, so what, they should have been passing the ball? Because they were running the ball with their second and third string offense, running it down their throats. It's like, even even the second and third string offense couldn't get to a third down. Like, I, you know, if, if running up the score means running the ball effectively, then, okay, I guess they should have been passing it or something. I don't know. This was not what I was expecting from this game, but it was as amusing and interesting and memorable of a Georgia Tech game as we're going to have in recent memory because it was just a, a completely, completely futile effort from Louisville trying to trying to compete with it. All right. Well, in any case, again, memorable big-time beatdown from Georgia Tech, 66-31 over Louisville. Stuff starting to get a little, uh, a little dicey in Louisville for the coaching staff, so keep an eye on that. Let's move on, Mike. 44-37. 
shock the world. Pittsburgh has defeated Syracuse. The lock of the year, play it like it's already been played, all this. And I, I heard all sorts of banter all, all week about how this line just stunk to high heavens and it wasn't really conceivable as to why Syracuse was less than a touchdown favorite in this game. And I don't know what Vegas knew, but they were right. It's, Pitt wins this game somehow. I don't know how it happened. Uh, not the lock of the year, Joey. As it would as it would turn out. <laughs> not not the lock of the year. Um, don't know what happened here. I'm real. I'm, I still can't figure it out. I don't know. This I'm struggling. I'm, I'm I'm struggling with this one. I really am. Um, you know, I looked up and I saw Pitt leading during a weather delay, and I was wondering what the hell is happening over here at Heinz Field. Um, There's multiple layers to that, by the way. Multiple layers. Um, Eric Dungey played like garbage. Did mm-hmm. not play well. Um, mm-hmm. We don't see Eric Dungey go 18 of 38 very often. With two picks. He doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't. Um, he turned it over twice. They were both costly. Uh, one was one was especially costly. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he has 70 yards rushing and a touchdown. I guess that's fine. Um, yeah, that that was weird. Kenny Pickett, uh, still not very good. 13 of 20, 137, one touchdown, one pick. That's who he is. Uh, what's more interesting to me in this game is that, oh, there's Syracuse's hot garbage defense. Found him. Um, mm-hmm. Quadri Allison, name that Quadri. Uh, 24 carries, 192 yards, and a touchdown. He had eight yards per carry, Joey. Uh, Darren, and Darren Hall, by the way, formerly known as the Discount D-Train, yes. 17 for 107, two touchdowns. Those two guys combined averaged upwards of seven yards per carry and three touchdowns on 41, 41 attempts. Syracuse can't stop the run, as it would turn out. Yeah, um, which is something we thought we knew. And, you know, we kind of dismissed in the preview because Pitt's offense as a whole has been garbage. Um, you know, have trouble scoring against UNC. You have a lot of trouble scoring against UCF. Um, <laughs> it was different on Saturday. I don't know. Um yeah, I mean, they didn't have to put it in the air all that much, and they scored 44 points. So, I I don't know. Turns out it's not the lock of the year. Eric Dungey threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen uh, in overtime. That wasn't good. Yeah, this um, game went to overtime, by the way. Yeah, it went to overtime as if it couldn't get any more painful for me taking Syracuse minus three and a half. Um, yeah, bad. Bad. I, I don't want to talk game. about how much. I don't want to talk about much more because it hit close to home. And hey, everybody! I was fourteen and two coming into the weekend against the spread. I won the Georgia Tech game on Friday night. And huge disclaimer on Twitter: that I was fifteen and two against the spread the last few weeks. And said I was due. I went zero and five on Saturday. So we back. Oof. We back. Uh, by the way, Mike, three key plays that kind of turned this game for for Pittsburgh. Mid, middle of the first quarter, second play of the drive from their own 31, Kadri Allison, 69 nice yards for a touchdown on the ground, Second, just second and four to start a drive. Next drive, Syracuse has the ball. 
Eric Dungy fumbles, and it's picked up 35 yards for a touchdown for Pitt. And then to come out of halftime, second play from their own 32, Kenny Pickett to Rafael Araujo Lopez, 68 yards for a touchdown. When when they're getting easy, long touchdowns on these broken plays, I mean, that's it, that's the kind of thing that can and will result in a, in a weird outcome that you're not really expecting to happen. 100%. And that's exactly what we got, and it just got weirder in overtime, and – I don't know, Joey. I was really – I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I was really wrong about this game. Yep. Um, really, Sign really, really wrong. Just very incorrect. And I'll own it. Sign me up for that. I, I was quite wrong as well. Uh, we will see if Pitt can keep up the momentum as they now host Notre Dame next week. And they're dead. And, yeah. <laughs> Whew. Okay. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, and in any case, yeah, weird outcome, upset of the year of the century of the week. Pitt 44, Syracuse 37 in overtime. Eric Dungy, bad, not great. And just topped it off with a cherry of an interception on to start to start overtime. But again, we'll come back to that here in just a minute. Number 23, NC State 28, Boston College 23. Wolfpack is quietly 5-0, and Mike. Turns yeah, turns out Joey that Boston College needs AJ Dillon. Yes. Um, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, and also, I think NC State might be good, and mm-hmm. they're quietly undefeated, and I, they're now quietly in the top twenty, I believe. I don't, I don't know what their latest AP ranking was. They were twenty, what twenty four coming into the weekend, I believe. Hmm. Um. Quietly good, quietly gaining momentum, and oh look, they have a pretty big game this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they've never beaten Clemson before. Um, and damn near beat them in Death Valley. Yeah, uh, keep an eye on that. Um, yeah, they've they've beaten Clemson in the past. Maybe not when they've been like this, but just keep an eye on that game this weekend. Uh, I wouldn't count like NC State this. out. That could get a little bit weird. Keep an eye on it. Watch yeah. out. Yeah, keep an eye out um, for that. Yeah. By the way, Boston College, 18 and a half minutes of possession in this game. <laughs> they had 50 offensive snaps in this game, evenly divided between the pass and the run. And Anthony Brown, surprisingly, actually pretty good. 14 to 25 for 198 and a touchdown. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty efficient. Yep. But – when the rest of the offense is struggling to, to move the ball at all and, and really retain the ball at all. I mean, there's only so much you can do. They get pretty egregiously outgained because NC state ran like almost twice as many plays. Yeah. Um, I'll tell yeah, you and, Joe, and Joey, way, 18, 18 minutes of 18 minutes of possession is the anti AJ Dillon offense. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's, that, that's what AJ Dillon offenses are supposed to be able to do to you. Not, not get done to them. So right. Um, by the way, uh, thoughts and prayers. If you if you bet NC State minus five and a half where this game closed, Boston College blocks a punt to score a touchdown with three minutes left to make this a five point game. <laughs> bad beat, and it, it's a real bad beat. And if you want a worse beat, check out Florida LSU. If you had under forty four, like oh, I did on Saturday. Oh um, no. We got some bad beats there too, Joey. Uh, one more thing on this game real quick. Um, we talked about Boston College being a game-time decision on the road. Um, let's downgrade play. them to doubtful. Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah, downgrade them to doubtful. At, at worst, we'll not play. Um, 
not not great on the road so far. So yeah, not doing too hot yeah. here. Keep an eye on that too, because um, they do have some road games left. So that's <laughs> something worth monitoring. It would help if they had AJ Dillon. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no kidding. NC State 28, Boston College 23. Last one, Mike, number four, Clemson 63, Wake Forest 3. And as much as I took Wake plus the 18 and was thinking that Syracuse, or that Clemson was going to let them hang around, whoo, boy, they just flattened Wake Forest in this game. It was never close. Wake barely gets on the scoreboard in this game. This was looking like a shutout for quite a while. It, it was, and you know what's real funny about this too, Joey, is that Clemson is actually pretty, pretty tough to bet against the spread, mm-hmm. uh, except for for Saturday. If them, uh, you took them minus the eighteen. Uh, turns out they covered <laughs> um, six hundred ninety-eight yards of offense, Mike. Yeah, and. Um, they had three different running backs highlighted, of course, by Travis Etienne, my, you know, conference pick for offensive player of the year in the preseason. Which, by the way, every week looking like a better and better pick. Yeah, that's looked real good the last three weeks. I'll tell you that. Um, Etienne, 10 carries for 167 in this football game. Um, Clemson as a whole, a rush for 471 yards, averaging almost 12 yards per carry. Trevor Lawrence, 20 of 25, 174. Five two scores. Uh, he looked real sharp. Uh, Chase Bryce even threw a touchdown pass. He came in four four for fifty yards and a touchdown. So it was murder. Sam Hartman seven of twenty. Kendall Hinton zero of five. I mean, Wake Forest could do nothing. They they could run the ball like almost a little bit, not quite. Man, man, Clemson. I, I mean, they came up six feet short of. <laughs> 10 yards per play. Goodness gracious. This is this was a beatdown. But by the way, Mike, single best line in the box score, Hunter Renfro with a 42-yard punt in this game. Uh, he does a little bit of everything. Backup quarterback, backup punter. Yeah, modern-day renaissance man, Hunter Renfro. What can't he do? Super, super cute girlfriend, too. So he's he's pulling. I don't oh. know. He's, he's winning. He's winning off the field as well. He, he is an all-American hero right now. Um, yeah, Clemson 63, Wake Forest 3. Mike got a couple of awards to give out, and uh, we should probably start with the Go ACC moment of the week that we already referred to. Uh, would you like to call back to this moment? Yeah. Uh, sorry, Eric Dungy. You're my boy, Blue. Um, I think he actually was, interrupted your radio broadcast, if I'm remembering correctly. He, he did. Um, I was on the pregame show for ESPN Blacksburg previewing the Virginia Tech Notre Dame game, and – this pregame show, of course, takes place in a bar, and I look up, and oh no, Eric Dungy, there goes my Syracuse minus three and a half lock of the year pick. Um, it went burning down in flames. Uh, he lobs it up in a double coverage. It was in the air so long, it very nearly turned into triple coverage, and you're not going to win with a throw like that on the first play of the possession for Syracuse in overtime. Uh, game ceiling interception and pit wins in overtime. That was very, um, that was very buzzkill. As somebody really who had was. been, as somebody who had been drinking since like eleven o'clock that morning, 
that was very buzzkill for me. I'm on the radio half lit and I'm looking at this game and I see Eric Dungey do that to my bet and I wanted to die. So that's where we're at. Well, go ACC to that. And, and by the way, that sounds like a peak basketball conference podcast moment is Eric Dungey throwing an interception to become the go ACC moment of the week while Mike is half drunk on the radio. So that's good. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's that, you know, doing the, doing the podcast proud as, as only we can. Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you didn't see this play, it's kind of slow developing and he's kind of rolling, but he's, you know, he's under some pressure, but he's got some time. And you and I agree. I mean, the thought was, oh, he's going to throw this away. Nope. He just lobs a duck into double coverage in a game, by the way, where they were down, you know, Pitt had already scored in overtime. Right. And just don't know why that you ball, did that. And you paid that, for it. That ball is still in the air. I mean, it he really, he really lobbed it. It um, might be. Shoot me. Go ACC to you, Eric Dungy. Uh, dumpster fire of the week, Mike. I think there's competing candidates here, although, to be fair, I think the dumpster fires are on totally different levels. Yeah, um, uh, there are definitely uh, a multitude of candidates. Uh, do you want to start with Louisville? I think we need to start with Louisville. Louisville, my goodness gracious. Um, just bad. I mean, they got down, and you can almost – I, I leaned over to my dad at one point in the, in the first quarter saying, I, I'm really curious to watch Louisville over the full 60 minutes here because I want to see if they quit. And right. I, this team might be starting to quit on Bobby Petrino and, and Brian Van Gorder. Um, there's all sorts of chatter about, you know, there, there was an article that came out last week pointing out that Bobby Petrino's buyout is like $14 million or something completely unruly. And yet – there's a whole bunch of people talking about how they can leverage the endowment to buy him out if they have to. Like that's the level of desperation that Louisville's getting to is how can we pay a $14 million buyout to go get Jeff Brom? Um, I mean, it is a total mess there and I I don't see it getting any better. Uh, Awful. Tell me about Wake Forest, Mike. Yeah. Wake Forest might be quietly turning into ash. Um, Ash or ash with an H. Ash with an H because they're a dumpster fire. Um, okay, just checking. Ash, ash too though. That's that's comparable. Um, <laughs> it's uh, not not going great for Wake lately. Let's put it that way. Sam Hartman, God love him. That was ugly on Saturday. I know we just talked about. It. I want to go go back and get into it. The whole team played like crap. Uh, it, it is Clemson. You know, that's we get we it. get it. We get it. get it. You played a couple of tough opponents. I mean, you get ND at home and you get Clemson at home two out of the last three weeks. I, Hey, I, you're playing two potential college football playoff teams, but what is happening down there in Winston-Salem? I mean, you've got to put up more than three points and you can't give up 63. That's for damn sure. As I mean, as we established on the preview, yeah, Clemson's a playoff team, but – Nobody's been giving up 10 yards per play to them. Nobody's been giving up 63 points to them. You know, like, wait, it is disappointing, especially with their defense, that Wake Forest has been as uncompetitive as they've been in a couple of these games. I think that's maybe that's the dumpster fire element here. Uh, The the offense has had its struggles at times, but has also been fairly good at times. I don't know. It's it's kind of been a bit of a mixed bag where the defense has just been a disaster. It's It's a young team. Overall, I mean, this is kind of they're, they're taking their lumps. They'll they'll be better for it, and they're well coached. I mean, Dave Clawson definitely has them well coached. They're just 
it's a different team this year. They just don't have as, as many veterans on either side of the football, and I think you're seeing that pay off, especially in the bigger games where they're not even being competitive. Last thing, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, and the time has come. We always knew it would end this way, Mike. For the, the Brian game's sake, Gorder, Joey. The Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award of the Week goes to the notorious BVG himself. Brian, you tried to set up a defense to stop Paul Johnson's offense and shut him up for once and for all, and shoe buddy, you failed. Oh, my shoe, goodness. Shoe buddy. Um, Eight touchdowns on nine drives, forced seven third downs the whole game. This was as just completely futile an effort as I've maybe ever seen anybody trying to defend this offense. When when Georgia Tech tweets out a picture of their plane on the landing strip and says, and for our ninth touchdown of the this night, the best. that's when you know it was a piss-poor performance. Uh, eight touchdowns in the game, nine if you include the victorious plane ride home. Of course, you give up a field goal as well. Uh, six for seven on third down for Georgia Tech, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Uh, Louisville's bad. Yes, they are. This feels like that time that like Vince McMahon won the WWE championship, right? Like, like you introduced this title to the world and then you win it yourself. Right. Good on you, Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like that. Also, uh, this reminds me of a time when Brian Kelly came to his senses and fired Brian Van Gorder. Mm -hmm. um, now, Bobby Petrino isn't going to do that because Brian Van Gorder might damn near outlast Bobby Petrino. The way things are going, uh, so, might need head coach. Which goodness gracious, if Brian Van Gorder is your interim head coach, I want to see if that. Brian Van Gorder's, if Brian Van Gorder is the interim head coach, we're renaming this podcast. Oh hell yeah, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial <laughs> Basketball Conference Podcast. Yes, the, the <laughs> entire the entire things the entire title we've had now for going on three seasons is going completely out the window. Um, and here we are in the middle of season three. And we're just going to take that title, toss it right out. Give me BBG. Um, I'm in. I'm down. Sold. And you're going to get a tattoo, um, Super Bowl champs before the season, and then it doesn't happen. And then it's like just losing a bad bet, you know? It's. I don't even know what to say. We made our piece. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? That's a good that's a good recap, I think. I think so. It's a weird week. I mean, again, we got to the outcomes that we expected. It wasn't really the path we were expecting to take to get to them, though, in a lot of these cases. So um, yeah, weird week, week six in the ACC. Next week setting up to be its own variety of weird week in the ACC. So tune back in for that. We're gonna come back and preview those games. In the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah, you can uh, find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Mike, tell them where they can find us in the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, friends. Hell yeah. Please do that with your good friends, Mike and Joey. Um, and also you can find us on YouTube. You can go find our videos there if you want to see uh, Mike's fancy hotel room while he's uh, playing a road game this week. And by the way, speaking of finding us on YouTube, this video will not be on YouTube. We've had some uh, 
fun technical difficulties in this one that have made it very uh, difficult to watch. So we will uh, we'll spare you from that. But we have videos of our other recordings, such as recent ones with Cam Underwood and Lauren Brownlow. Highly recommended. Mike, uh, you want to come back and preview these games for week seven? Let's do it, man. On to week seven. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Oh, yeah.